0: This podcast is brought to you by the Albany Public Library main branch and the generosity of listeners like you. What is a podcast? God, Daddy, these people talk as much as you do. (laughs) Razib Khan's Unsupervised Learning.
1: Hey, everybody, Uh, this is Razib with the Unsupervised Learning Podcast, and uh, I'm here with uh, Rav Arora. Now, uh, some of you will have known his name because you probably listen to Glenn Lowry and other people. He's been on these podcasts. Uh, He is a very, very young man. I think, Rav, are you 20?
0: Yes, 20. Okay,
1: so he's 20. Um, And he's written a lot for the New York Post, Quillette, uh, other places. He's Canadian. uh, And he stays well, well outside of his lane, whatever that means. Uh, And, you know, like I've known him uh, for about a year or so. You know, we've corresponded. And, uh, you know, uh, most people his age obviously are not writing for the New York Post. Uh, They are not going on Glenn Lowry's podcast. So, uh, you know, I would say he's reasonably accomplished. He's put himself out there. He's not afraid to express his opinions. Most of you probably who know of him uh, have read his work on policy, on uh, you know social affairs of the United States. Uh, we're not here actually to talk about that. We're here to talk about something kind of different, something I don't know too much about, uh, but I've heard a lot about it. And so I am here mostly to ask uh, questions because Rob has a new uh, substack on, uh, well, actually, Talk about your Substack, talk about what you're talking about, uh, because it's a little bit outside of the box compared to uh, what I know you from. Sure.
0: Yeah. So you want me to talk about my background briefly? You
1: can talk about your background and then go to the Substack.
0: Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, So uh, my background, uh, I'm 20, as you said, and I graduated high school in uh, 2019. And then I kind of took a year off to kind of figure out what I wanted to do. And uh, I'd always been a writer and I'd always been a uh, somebody who's been closely following the, 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 the current cycle of the news and particularly racial issues and relating to criminal justice um, and other identity politics issues. And so right around when George Floyd happened, I started writing about racial issues and the New York Post accepted one of my articles on white privilege and that went viral. And a lot of people were reading it. And after that, I just started consistently writing about racial issues, criminal justice for, as you mentioned, Quillette, City Journal, The Globe and Mail, and other places. So I've been doing that for about, um, I guess, uh, it's been a couple of years now. I've been doing that a year and a half. And uh, a few weeks ago, uh, about a month ago at this point, I, I, I launched uh, my new Substack, which is dedicated to explorations into psychedelic therapy meditation, spirituality, Eastern mysticism, and everything kind of, uh, in between.
1: Yeah. So I, so, you know, just for the listeners out there who don't know me, I'm, I'm pretty much a straight edge person, uh, psychedelics. I don't know. Uh, that seems, uh, I don't, I, that's a little, let's say that's a little bit outside of my, uh, my pay grade, uh, but a lot, I have friends who are into psychedelics and mysticism and this sort of thing. I am not a mystical person. Uh, I'm, pretty old school materialist uh, and I am pretty straight edge. I do drink, but I don't do, you know, all the other things. So I don't know anything about this, Rob. Uh, why is this a big deal? Why am I hearing about this constantly now? Cause I am, you're not the first person that's brought this up with me. And people have asked me like, have you explored psychedelics to get in touch with your spiritual side? No and what
0: side is that, you know, but so can you talk about that? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the reason why everybody's talking about it is, and I, I, I really hate to say this because it sounds a little hyperbolic, but it is the closest thing to a silver bullet or a miracle cure or a one, one size fits all solution, uh, uh, uh an incredible tool for exploring yourself. Um, it, it is something that, um, yeah, like I said, it, it's, Um, comes as close as possible to kind of a silver bullet for healing a whole range of things. So healing deep psychological traumas, learning about yourself, uh, uh, building connection with others and with your surroundings, um, having a renewed uh, gratitude for life, uh, reducing chronic depression, PTSD, and we can talk about those Specifically, uh, anxiety, OCD, uh, opioid addiction, uh, smoking addiction, um, and then mystically speaking, sort of developing a connection with something beyond. I mean, there are many surveys showing that um, that around 70, 60 to 70% of atheists who have a single or two sessions of psilocybin uh, 70% no longer identify with the term atheist after their experience because they've been uh, they, they've been exposed to this all this this different dimension this different realm of being that is so different from what they from what they ever have experienced before that they now have this renewed appreciation for like okay maybe you know the, there is no second coming or the apocalypse or you know whatever this religious bullshit is but there is a a a mystical realm. There is an experience that is very different from our ordinary waking consciousness that we can tap into that uh, helps us lose this kind of rigid attachment to this world. Um, and I, I know that, that sounds a little unhinged, but by that I mean uh, many of these psychedelic explorations uh, help people to detach themselves from like the outcomes of life. Like if you're chasing after this thing, or if you're pursuing something there's, people have this tendency to uh, rigidly attach themselves to what's gonna happen with what they do. And as, as you know, receive you're many years older than I am, as you know, you, you, you set out to do something and obviously you want it to happen uh, the way you intended, but many times it doesn't happen whether romantically, socially, economically, in terms of your career, you don't get the dream job you wanted or this girl that you loved didn't love you back. And then it's, you're devastated afterwards. But through these psychedelic explorations and I'm using very broad terms here, we can pinpoint some of these specific things that I've talked about, but that's that's just one thing that people gain from these psychedelic experiences is a renewed gratitude for what they have and uh, less of a fixation on the outcomes of their actions rather than their actions themselves.
1: Yeah. So uh, I'm curious about this research that you're talking about and uh, like, I've never heard of it, but it sounds interesting. I mean, but don't you think that uh, people who identify as atheists, the type who would go to do that sort of study are self-selected?
0: Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, well, but, but the thing is, is like I know many people who are atheists and have no, spiritual uh uh, component to their life but they they just they're sort of forced to socially pressured into doing it or they're just curious about it and they just end up doing it and then their their preconceived notions about mysticism are totally shattered and they end up having uh, a, a a renewed or a a new appreciation for something beyond just the physical realm
1: yeah so uh, let's get to definitions like spirituality mysticism like what does this mean
0: Sure um, so it I mean obviously this is a, this is all subjective by nature right we're, we're not talking about something that you can scientifically measure although researchers have tried in many ways but but by spirituality we mean a, an exploration or appreciation for something beyond just the physical realm, beyond just our five senses, beyond just our waking consciousness, beyond just our ego, that seems to be a central part of it, of of experiencing something um, that is uh, that that transcends our cravings, desires, uh, our yearnings, our various obsessions in life, you know, many people who have these mystical experiences, whether or not it's through psychedelics or through prayer or chanting or meditation, um, they, it, it's, it's a kind of state where you're no longer uh, endlessly chasing after uh, whatever your ego wants, whether that's related to uh, uh, food, sex, uh, uh, any kind of economic, you um, endeavors that you're pursuing, this is a kind of state where you can, um, learn to kind of transcend those things. And I, I know, you know, feel free to ask more about this, but I know this, this sounds very bizarre to people who've never experienced this. So it's, it's really, it's, it's really a matter of experience here. And I think that's a really important part of this is this, this sort of, um, way we're, we're conditioned for obvious reasons to conceptualize everything in our world. And, uh, use our rational thinking brain um and 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 that's obviously how we navigate the world that's how we finish degrees and get jobs and have social relationships but there's this other side of just sort of experiencing in in a very non-rationalistic way just experiencing life that's kind of what happens in these psychedelic experiences is they can't be quantified or like statistically measured or or you know, really rigidly rationalized. It, it's it's something more subjective. It's it's something that goes deeper than any kind of thing you can measure with uh, an instrument. Like many people talk about how words are are blunt instruments that that you can't even really use to describe these experiences because of how profound, transcendent, and out of the ordinary they are.
1: Yeah, I mean it's.
0: It, it, it,
1: It's a little, so it's a little difficult, obviously, to put into words, and you know, I've heard other people say this, read things like this. So it's, you know, um, Ludwig Wittgenstein said sometimes you can't like talk about something or describe it, but you can try to whistle it. So it's kind of like the ineffable truths, uh, the intuitions, the hunches people have. So um, you know, you said it's not quantifiable, and you have to experience it. So I guess um, my question is then. Okay, if it's quantifiable, if it's not quantifiable, and you have to experience it uh, as a non-mystical, non-mystically oriented person, I guess, uh, why why do people talk about it all the time? Why are there books about it? You know, because like those seem to be like kind of concrete, like rational things. Um, Shouldn't this be a situation where you just kind of like show people they they do they they follow you by emulation? Do you understand what I'm trying to get at?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Can you hear me by the way still? Yeah, you're good. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so the experience here is, is at the key and by quantify, I mean it, it, these, so, so we can also get into the, some of the studies uh, in a second with, with really, with relation to depression, PTSD there, they have, uh, well, they have quantified their, their findings. Obviously, they've done these these long-term clinical or long-term or short-term clinical trials, and and they show some very robust, profound findings with with respect to various mental disorders. But but on just the experience, like it's um, you you obviously can describe it as best as possible. Uh, it, it's a difficult job, but but it's. You know, you can sort of look at it in terms of the outcome, like most people who have these experiences, the vast majority of people who have these experiences seem to have something that is very profound, where they say that this is one of the top three most profound experiences of their lives. This is what surveys show. This is what anecdotally people say. And I I know you said that you've talked to people about this and I'm sure they sort of evangelically talk about this. Is that right?
1: yeah i mean you know they want to share they want to talk about it It depends like some people they're quite private about it and then other people are more evangelical so it just depends on the person you know um and uh it's obviously like very private and personal thing for a lot of people so it's not like basically what i'm trying to say is okay this is like a a kind of a mode of religiosity or maybe like religious experience mysticism that is different from say oh the nicene creed or the shahada it's not like a very specific profession of faith, orthodoxy, or it's not even like a rule following uh, legal cultural uh, system of liturgy. Uh, It's, it's something that's, that's very uh, internal. And uh, it's, it's a mental state that you achieve. And how do you get to that mental state? That's what you're saying. Right. And a lot of people have gotten to that mental state, uh, you know, through self-denial, maybe through fasting, uh, there are people who do lots of sports. Meditation. You know? Yeah, meditation. Uh, so okay, you get you achieve this mental state, clarity. People talk about clarity. So uh, so, for example, silent meditation sure. or a retreat, a silent retreat. Yep. These sorts of things. These are these are common. Uh, but now you're talking about psychedelics, right? And so, um, what do you say to someone that would say, you know, that's a shortcut. Like taking a drug is a shortcut. Like you should, you should fast. You should do something natural that doesn't include taking some random you know, chemical.
0: Right, right. Uh, well, first of all, in terms of the, the religion part of it, I, I think is important here because taking these medicines, and I, I do use the word medicine here very specifically. I, I, I've never used this in a party situation. Um, I've only done it in, and we can talk more about this if you want, but I've only done this in guided uh, settings um, with a trained psychotherapist or a psychologist working with me. administering the drug and then helping me interpret the experience afterwards and integrating it into, into my life. But it's, um, it's, these substances are very powerful and kind of metaphysically or, or, uh, religiously neutral. So you, unlike participating in some kind of, uh, devotional practice at the church, there are no, um, any any beliefs required in order to participate in in this experience right it's not you don't have to believe in jesus or krishna or the buddha or whatever you just you know you just take it and you just have the experience which i think is very powerful because you can achieve these altered states of consciousness that that your brain is already capable of doing um, through various other means. But you're sort of doing it in the shortcut way, which is what you just asked me about here. And this is um, one of the critiques that many uh, religious people have, is that this is a kind of artificial way of, of doing this. Um, but but the, the, there is a kind of a naturalist argument here of, 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 you know, many people say that these, you know, psilocybin mushrooms, for example, they're, they're all natural. They're, they were planted here on the earth and various ancient cultures have used them, um, which, something that i'm going to start to explore some of the historical context of these things it's a really fascinating realm of research but it's um, if you're not a religious person there really should be no uh, objection here with with religious people it's sort of like they they don't they don't want you to experience something through the drug that can be uh, institutionally Uh, experienced in this very formal religiously contextualized setting at the church or at the mosque or at the temple uh, or whatever. But these are, you know, in your brain, these are just, you know, neurotransmitters. These are just chemicals uh, in your brain, Um, whether a drug does it or whether, you know, fasting for a week can produce hallucinations, long-term meditation retreats, chanting, uh, various breathing techniques, holotropic breathing can do this. It's, it's all just a matter of, of chemicals that, that these various experiences elicit. And psychedelics just happen to be safe, effective, not requiring any uh, religious or metaphysical beliefs. And so it's it's it's, it's, it's it can be done uh, safely and effectively in the proper condition. So it provides a, a very uh, powerful way for people who aren't religious to have uh an experience that goes beyond what they're uh living in their day-to-day uh existence and and i, I think it's also important to go into some of the specific compounds like mdma and psilocybin and uh, yeah, i'll yeah. let you interject if you want to say something no, about, yeah, but i think yeah, it's I, important
1: yeah I, what i'm going to interject is uh, for a lot sure. of us listening out there uh psilocybin md i mean Okay. All I know about it is uh, they kind of, the, the words kind of scare me. Okay. Uh, honestly, um, because I mean, okay. Drugs just say no. I mean, a lot of us have that reaction. And so why is this different? Um, I, you know, you're using, obviously uh, cocaine, heroin, uh, these were, you know, were drugs or still are drugs, you know, morphine. These sorts of things, you know, people can addicted to painkillers, but painkillers are important, right? So can you differentiate the positive and the negative uh, before I move on to the positive
0: and what they do in a mystical sense? Sure. Like in ter- terms of talk about the side effects, potentially. Yeah. Side
1: stuff? effects, like, you know, like abuse, like, is there abuse? Sure. You know, I mean, I'm, sure. like, as I said, like, I don't, like, I don't know much about psychedelics personally sure. at all. They're just words of the news and I don't read about them because they don't affect me to be honest.
0: Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and this is, um, and there's a lot of uh, biographical story here with respect to me and how I got into this. Um, and, and this was one of the things early on uh, that was something that I was researching pretty rigorously was the, the safety profile of these things. And just briefly, uh, the, the the reason why I got into this in the first place was due to a series of traumatic events and. Uh, um, Psychological issues that I was uh, experiencing, and I, I won't go into the specific detail, but these things, various issues that that had emerged in my life over the past several years, in childhood especially, and then in my teenage years, and I was I was looking for solutions. I was looking for therapies that would help me, and I, I tried many things: uh, meditation, counseling, uh, breath work. I and and some of it was just sort of a spiritual yearning too, was sort of like, sort of being interested, just naturally very interested um, about sort of altered states of consciousness as well. So it was various negative experiences that I had um, uh, compounded with these uh, interests I had in altered states of, of consciousness, which I was, which I learned a lot about in in my own home with uh, my mom and my dad being of Hindu and and Sikh background and hearing a a lot about these altered states of consciousness through various yogic and meditative practices. But as somebody myself who's not religious in the slightest, I I always um, was not interested in participating in any of those kind of things. But then as time went on, I, I realized like this is this isn't just bullshit. This isn't just superstition. Like there are like I know so many people who through these um, you know in the Hindu or the Buddhist context have had these powerful uh, mystical experiences that have improved their lives and have transformed them, have given them renewed sense of gratitude, have reduced depression and anxiety and obsessiveness and. And then looking at all of that, and that's backed by some of the clinical literature of, of uh, through surveys and through actual clinical trials and through uh, many people who have talked about this, um, I, I just became interested in, in getting into this. And so I, I started doing some research and then the first thing that came up was like, okay, like if I'm gonna do this, you know, I, I've also been conditioned in this uh, environment of, of say no to drugs because drugs are harmful. and. In, in my high school and middle school years, I never smoked marijuana or cigarettes or drank or vaped or did any of those things. And, uh, I was taught not to. So, so this was, so, so this had to pass a really uh, high bar of safety for me to get involved. And so I started doing the research and it, it turns out the, these are for the vast majority of people, non-addictive substances, that that's what, what the clinical literature shows. It's very difficult for people to become addicted to psilocybin um, and even MDMA, although MDMA is a little different, it's, it's used as a party drug, um, but, but in these clinical settings when you're doing MDMA, and, and I could talk about my experience in a bit. Um, it's, it's, it's after having experienced this myself and, and of reading the clinical literature on MDMA therapy, it's, it's obvious that once you do one session with a therapist, it's very difficult to go back to that session right away and do it again because of so much trauma that, that comes up, which which we can talk about. But it, these things are non-addictive. And I'm not sure what the what exactly the, the neurophysiological basis for that is, but I, I've heard of many uh, researchers at Johns Hopkins, including Roland Griffiths um, and Rick Doblin, the founder of MAPS, um, talk about how the psychedelics seem to work outside of the dopamine system and so they've done animal studies on this as well like with rats for example it's very easily very easy to get them hooked on on cocaine and other substances but it's 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 very difficult for them to get hooked on psilocybin or mdma for whatever strange reason so these things are are non-addictive and and i, I think the, the the from a subjective point of view at least the reason for that is the experience is so overwhelming and, and for many people, it can be, well, it, it depends how you do it. But in a clinical setting, for some people, it can be terrifying as well or very difficult to experience those things because certain things about themselves tend to emerge or people who've witnessed a lot of trauma, a lot of those traumas reemerge. And so it's, it's not, you can't really be addicted to revisiting your trauma or, or, or visiting the dark parts of yourself. That's, that's not a very pleasant thing uh, to do, but so so that's kind of, well, where things are at with safety. It's it's not addictive and it's, and for for psilocybin, there's basically no fatal dose, um, which is remarkable. And it's, it's, um, Matt Johnson, researcher at Johns Hopkins has talked about how psilocybin and MDMA are safer than many drugs you get from pharmacies, um, because they have, which is remarkable, very little side effects. The only warnings, um, that are legitimate are that people who have schizophrenia in the family should most likely avoid it. People who have psychosis should also avoid it. Um, You want to, you definitely want to do your own research. If you have any kind of clinical diagnosis, you should talk to your psychologist or your psychiatrist and do your research before doing these things. Um, Certain mental disorders indicate that, sorry, having certain mental disorders um, can make one uh, less uh, safe in doing these experiences. However, other mental disorders like PTSD, depression, anxiety, OCD is in fact, a greater reason to do these experiences, not less. If you're suffering from, from chronic depression, you, you you are a much better candidate for doing psilocybin than somebody who's living a, a relatively happy, fulfilled life. So, so that's kind of a very brief overview in terms of the uh, safety profile there.
1: Okay. I mean, that, that really clears a lot of things up. I, I guess like one, one thing that I'm wondering about now is, um, so, you know, before I was talking to you and your, your substack, um, and you know, your focus here is like mysticism and psychedelics, but I mean, it sounds almost like therapy and psychedelics. I mean, like what's the, mm. what, where's the border here? Like, how are you defining these things? Like what's the difference?
0: Right. Yeah. Um, well, so, again, I I got interested in this because of the therapy part of it, um, and I described some of my issues very vaguely, and also just the spiritual part of it, which I'm very curious about, you know, like, just sort of a spiritual angle, like, why, why is it that so many people who've been on long-term meditation retreats come back and, and have this incredible gratitude and, and have... This this mindfulness that they didn't have before, where they're able to enjoy even the little things in life. You know, I, I look at so, so many people around me who've done meditation retreats and also people who've had psilocybin experiences who've told me about this. And as somebody myself who is a very kind of restless, incessantly thinking, obsessive, very obsessive person who holds on to things and who Relentlessly chases after things, whether it's career, whether it's romance or friendships, and and and, it's, and some of that is, is is actually a blessing. That's kind of what's led to the, some of these accomplishments uh, so far in my career. Is is me just relentlessly pursuing after various things, but on the other hand, it's it's kind of a curse because when things don't go my way uh, in, in, in any aspect of life, I, I, I get devastated and, and depressed very easily. Um, and, and mm-hmm. I'm always sort of subconsciously kind of postponing my happiness to some future goal. And this is a universal thing. So many people do this. And, and I think now is also um, the right point to also bring in sort of my key inspiration here, which was Sam Harris, uh, who, uh, whose work I started um, getting into a couple years ago. And, and he has a meditation app, which is phenomenal. And if anybody's struggling with anxiety or depression or are just subjectively just uh, dealing with kind of restlessness and a uh, lack of stability in their mental lives, then I, I highly recommend you you check on his app. So I started looking into his app and, and, you know, you, you know of, of Sam's work, I'm sure. I don't know if you've talked to him before, but he, he's mm-hmm. an atheist individual, yeah, 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 but yeah. he, but he has an appreciation for mystical experience that he acquired um at at, uh, 18 and 19 years of age when he had a few uh mind-blowing revelatory mdma and mushroom experiences that reveal to him that there are altered states of consciousness um that when you have these experiences they serve as a reference point for something that you should integrate more and more into your life and so with his mdma experience he talks about Feelings of boundless joy and unconditional love that is very difficult to kind of access in your normal waking life. And so once you have that experience, it's, it's not just that you are going to, it's a, you know, with MDMA, it's a euphoric experience. And, and what many people describe, including Sam, is you feel this, this unconditional love for, for other people without any kind of transactional reason. So it's not that this person gives you something and you feel love. It's just that you you want good things to happen to everybody for no reason at all. And and you even want that for your enemies and people who've done wrong to you. This is the experience people have typically on, on MDMA. And they feel this in, intense gratitude and appreciation for their lives that they didn't have before. So then it's a matter of, okay, what do you do with that experience? Like, like that is, that's such a powerful uh, experience that is very difficult to achieve in normal waking consciousness. And so after these experiences, what people like Sam Harris have discovered is, is that you can integrate these experiences more and more into your waking life, that these serve as kind of ethical and also like experiences that have an ethical and moral valence as well of like oh there's a state here where you can just love other people without asking for anything in return or you can feel compassion for people who've done wrong to you um even the the worst things possible you can't have compassion for them so how do you so 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 that's a very profound insight that again is it's very difficult to achieve that in in any normal waking consciousness so these experiences provide a kind of they help enforce a kind of moral foundation and this is where jordan peterson's work on psychedelics is relevant here too he's talked about how he's seen many uh, patients in his clinical practice and in his research he's seen so many of these case studies of people who have um, two or three like psilocybin and mdma sessions and it provides them with a moral compass that they didn't have before that never went away that's a direct quote from from jordan peterson So so that that's just like mind blowing. Like that's so incredible. And then like I was saying earlier, like I I don't want to oversell this at all. I don't want to exaggerate or hyperbolize any of this stuff at all. But it seems to be that, that these experiences drastically improve people's lives and ethically inform their engagement with the world and uh uh, with other people and, um, and, and I, I can also speak to some of my experiences in a second, if you mm-hmm. want, with, with MDMA and some of the studies showing, um, the, uh, efficacy against PTSD and depression because, because all of that is very relevant as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, so I, I want to talk about that. I want to get to that. Um, one thing I want to say though, is like, or suggest is you're talking about people and their reactions. And I mean, it sounds like to me, uh, this is efficacious, uh, uh, for a lot of people. But um, I do think we need to keep in mind that uh, just because something is useful and relevant for some people, it doesn't necessarily mean everybody. Right. So uh, like, for example, like, you know, saying, like, OK, uh, you know, these people, they f- you know, you feel this moral compass, this sense of purpose. And, and I can believe that. But a lot of people don't do psychedelics and they have that. Right. So um, I guess the analogy that I would use is, you know, I have a friend. Actually I have several, unfortunately, uh, who have issues with alcohol. And, uh, you know, they either don't drink or they're highly self-regulated. Uh, I myself, uh, I'm a just conventional social drinker during coronavirus when I wasn't interacting with people. I didn't drink for like a year and it wasn't a big deal. Uh, on the other hand, I have a friend and it's like a big deal when he doesn't drink in any given day and it's a struggle. So, you know, what's the difference here? Uh, I mean, you know, there's just we know there's genetic dispositions, genetic differences and so um, I can imagine a situation where, uh, you know, uh, some people, I mean, you know, there are people who are susceptible to depression for various reasons, sometimes trauma, uh, and sometimes they're just biologically, biochemically oriented that way. And so I do want to make a suggestion here that, um, you know, uh, these, these psychedelics might be useful for a certain subset of people in certain contexts and maybe not for others. So uh, as, as we're talking about this now, in terms of people and what they've done. Uh, Why don't you like personalize a little and and talk about your experiences and what you've seen, what
0: you felt, what you've experienced? Sure. Yeah. And and I I think your caveats there are appropriate that it's not everybody should take psychedelics. I would never say that. Uh, I, I don't think everybody listening to this podcast should just go and do it themselves. It, I, as I did it, and I'll talk about this in a second. It's, it's something that I think has incredible healing potential, and because of that, it should only be done in settings that best promote healing. So, being at a party, smoking weed and drinking and dancing all night is not an appropriate setting for healing. <laughs> okay. Um, and so I, 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 encourage people to do guided experiences only. And, uh, th- th- there's a huge underground scene basically in every big city, uh, at this point for these uh, guided psychedelic experiences. Uh, usually if you, if, if anybody's interested, you, uh, you know, I'm here in Vancouver and I, and I didn't have much of a hard time uh, finding somebody to, to do this with somebody who I trusted and was experienced and had, uh, had uh credentials and all of it but if you just search up like psychedelic assisted therapy in uh, whatever city you're living in you can find clinics um, mental health clinics uh, uh, that offer uh, psychedelic assisted therapy which is legal which means that therapists and psychologists that that help you interpret your psychedelic experiences which they are not legally allowed to administer but usually once you find your way into these clinics, um, if uh, you, you can uh, seek out these guided experiences, um, which uh, again, is not formally advertised, but um, it is something that uh, many therapists and psychologists uh, offer uh, in these kind of uh, clinics. Um, so in, in terms of my personal experience, so I, I'm actually in the process of writing about this right now, and I'm sort of keeping it low key at this point um, uh, in terms of just the, the broader reach. Um, at some point I'll, I'll consider doing um, some other bigger podcasts and shows and, and doing bigger articles and stuff like that, um, going deeper into the very specific experiences. But basically what happened is, is I, I did MDMA therapy for my first session and uh, I did it with a guide and it was about a five-hour trip. And so I, I, I started, uh, so, so I, I, I went to the clinic and uh, MDMA was administered and it took about 45 minutes to kick in. And suddenly I just felt this kind of, uh, this lightheadedness and this feeling of euphoria. And then I, I laid down, I closed my eyes, was wearing eye shades and there's some light music in the background, and the therapist's job there is just to uh, assure you at times if you are feeling anxious that everything is going to be fine. And also, the therapist uh, helps you uh, interpret whatever is coming up in that experience. And it's it's very difficult to to uh, guide the experience yourself. Things just come up uh, by themselves that you can't really control. Um, which can, which does sound kind of terrifying to certain people. But with MDMA, what happens is it decreases activity in your amygdala, which is the fear center of your brain, and it floods serotonin to your brain. And so that gives feelings of euphoria and joy and happiness and love. And it increases activity in your hippocampus, which is involved in memory processing. And so what that does is it allows your brain to uh, better... More safely, uh, and in a more warm and welcoming, and loving kind of way, revisit any kind of traumas in your life. That's basically what those things translate to: the amygdala, the hippocampus, the hippocampus, and the serotonin. Is that's kind of clinically, if you want to look at it, that's kind of what happens in your brain. And so. Um, the MDMA kicked in for me and then suddenly uh, just so many things from the past emerged and I won't go into specific detail, but with uh, respect to being bullied, not having many friendships, uh, growing up and, uh, romantic relationships that disintegrated and various issues with parents and things like that. they, They all came up as, um, they all emerged in this way that was um, very easy to visit. It did not require any kind of difficulty. And and, then these experiences in your normal waking consciousness, like people who have PTSD, which we can talk about in a second, they it's, it's very difficult for them to revisit those experiences and make um, and, and kind of, uh, Come to grips with them and accept them for what they are, and to learn from them. That's very difficult to do once you witness some kind of trauma. Mm-hmm. But when you have the when you have the MDMA, you can very openly, open heartedly explore these things, these dark parts of your mind, these things that you've experienced, and come come to grips with them. So a lot of these things came up of, of parents, of friendships, of romantic relationships, and I. I I sort of realized the root cause of my suffering uh, in many ways. And and that's a common thing that comes up in the literature in case studies as people identify a kind of root cause of their suffering. And uh, again, at this point, I don't want to go into the exact specific details, but basically I, I sort of realized that a lot of my suffering right now, in this point, a lot of the depression, the anxiety, and the obsessiveness was a kind of, uh, learn behavior early on in childhood from seeing my parents attract in a certain way and friendships that, that did work out and being bullied for so many different reasons in various ways. All of those experiences led me to kind of be in this state right now where I had sort of internalized this message that life is just about, uh, what life is just about working and achieving things and just running on this constant treadmill, one thing after the other, and it's your happiness is contingent on career achievements, on relationships, working, on achieving various things. Whereas uh, there is a kind of deeper uh, appreciation, a deeper kind of well-being that P- that Sam Harris talks about, for example, that is kind of independent from whatever you achieve or don't achieve in your life. And and that's a a common thing that uh, many mystics and sages have have spoken about throughout the ages is this kind of level of equanimity and of, of uh, well-being that you can maintain uh, before anything good happens to your life, before you get the girlfriend or the wife or the house, or before you become rich and you achieve all these things. And for me that that's really powerful because Uh, somebody uh, this age who objectively speaking has accomplished a lot. I'm still sort of, and this is a kind of a spiritual crisis for me is I am always looking for the next thing and always jumping for the next thing to achieve. And I'm never able to be at peace with kind of what's in front of me right now. I'm never able to just be satisfied with what I've achieved in this moment, it's always about the next thing, and and, and that's just not me. I'm, I'm sure many people listening to this can, can relate to that. And so the MDMA experience showed me that there is something deeper here. There is a way of being that is very different from what I'm, what I've been conditioned to believe through these traumatic experiences since childhood. And so experiencing that was, was seriously like the, one of the most profound experiences of my life. I mean, in the past several years, probably the most profound experience that I've, that I've ever had. And I've been integrating that with a counselor afterwards and incorporating that into my meditation practice. And it's only given me sort of more hope for some of the issues with depression and anxiety that I've been facing. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really powerful thing that is safe and effective and has helped so many people. So it's 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 a great tool for, for healing these deep traumas.
1: Yeah. So um I I hear that and you're not the only person that has talked about this sort of thing or, you know, I mean obviously at length, this is the first conversation I've probably had about this, but people have alluded to this before. But you know, um, you're talking about like you and us. And it's kind of um, focused on the human individual, and kind of repairing ourselves in a way. But um, what about psychedelics, uh, like in terms of spirituality, metaphysics, mysticism? Uh, do you think? Uh, I mean, do people who take psychedelics do they get a sense of the world out there, like a deeper perception of objective reality?
0: Of objective reality? Say reality. Sorry, say that you just broke up there. You say objective reality?
1: Yeah, objective reality or just reality. I'm I'm, I'm basically, sure. I, I want I want to like, um, I want to close out the conversation by talking about like, okay, so you take this stuff and people have told me like it accesses different dimensions, all sorts of words, right? Like, what does that mean? Because that's obviously not about just a, you know, like there's drugs you take that affect you internally. And then there's like, you know, this is a drug you take that also affects your perception of the world.
0: Mm, mm okay, yeah. So so beyond just the therapeutic effects, right? Yeah. Beyond you're you're asking now beyond that. Yes. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So a, before I answer that, I should just also quickly say, like, with, with MDMA, it's it is the most effective treatment for PTSD at this point. Um, a recent phase three trial uh, showed that sixty seven percent of participants were were cured of of PTSD after three sessions of MDMA. Uh, and the following uh, psychotherapy with the counselor. uh, Same thing with uh, depression. Uh, One study at Johns Hopkins found that uh, 67% of participants uh, had a more than 50% reduction in depression symptoms at a one-week follow-up after having done, um, I believe it was two or three sessions of psilocybin with psychotherapy, Um, and uh, 71% had uh, 50% had. A significant reduction in depression at, at a four-week follow-up um, and about half of participants were, were were permanently cured of depression which is incredible so 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 that that's sort of that's just two things in the clinical literature which is which is mind-boggling for for any psychiatrist like, like this is far more effective than any antidepressant or any other drug that's out there in the market for, for PTSD or depression or smoking addiction or any of these other things uh, okay so in terms of the spiritual part of it, um, it's it's interesting. There, there's so 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 this I can't obviously quantify the way I just did with these uh, research studies, and and that poses kind of a challenge for me as a journalist, as well as somebody who is very rational, who is very statistics oriented, and it's interesting. Many most people who know my work know me as somebody who brings kind of facts to the conversation w- with respect to race criminal justice and these woke issues where where the far left has totally abandoned objective reality in favor of all these, you know, multi- multiplicity of interpretations and have gone into all these abstractions and all these esot- esoteric left-wing academic theories and they're not actually looking at things they're not actually understanding how human behavior works and actually looking at policies that work with with respect to like criminal justice and like releasing offenders and uh holding criminals accountable for their actions and all these things so that, that's kind of like the the crux of my work is is bringing kind of reality to this uh, to many of these hot-button subjects surrounding race and identity that have been so devoid of, of objective reality, um, but but that but but I don't think you can just live your life fully in this objective thinking, mathematical, scientific realm, right? That's kind of where I've been, you know, kind of my whole life at this point. And I know I'm young, obviously, but but this is kind of where I had the spiritual yearning of like. I'm, I'm hearing all these people, uh, whether it's in the, the religious, whether it's in Hinduism and Buddhism, studying some of those uh, texts, which I'm doing right now in university, looking studying, at, studying Theravada Buddhism and uh, the history of psychedelics as well. Like, like People are having these experiences, um, spiritual, religious, or even atheistic people like Sam Harris, who I'm very inspired by, who, by the way, I also just recently uh, interviewed on my Substack if people want to check that out, um, at length, talking about uh, meditation, about suffering, about fantasies and achieving goals and all those interesting things from a very spiritual perspective that, that Sam brings. Um, but, but with these experiences, it's people commonly describe having a psilocybin or a DMT experience, um, which they feel like is more real than reality itself. There's so many people describe that. I'm sure you've heard of that at some point, which which, at this point for me in this stage, I, I don't know what to make of that because I've never experienced it. But it, it seems to result in at least one good behavioral outcome. And then this is something that I'll, I'll use Joe Rogan as an example. He talks about having done DMT several times and he's far from... From anything religious, he totally rejects religious dogma, Christianity, Islam, Hinduism. He he's he's somebody that you know has many people on and has a very rational discourse, as many people know. But he's had these DMT experiences that he says, in effect, um, make him realize that a lot of these issues, a lot of these Twitter wars and beefs online, and these aversions and, and hatred towards other people and all these various conflicts in life are incredibly trivial that that's kind of one of the things that he said he experienced um, in, in this uh, in some of his DMT experiences where he accessed something beyond his physical realm. And, and he said, he, this is a common experience with DMT as you experience these other entities. Um, he describes it as these court gestures. Many people, Call it the machine elves. That's what Terrence McKenna uh, uh, described it as. These machine elves, and so and Rogan talks about how these these court jesters were looking at him with the middle finger and, and communicating to him that he's taking himself too seriously, and then and these mystical beings were communicating to him that he needs to take life a, a little less seriously, and and obviously that that what what I just said there, I, I, even my own rationalistic mind seems to want to reject that whole idea because because that could be a dangerous thing to experience of wanting to experience wanting to take life a little less seriously you know we can think about various ways in which that could be a negative thing but for many people including myself many people who have achieved great things in the world who are very disciplined ambitious and are are achieving many things and are holding themselves accountable like joe rogan um, it, it can be very profound to access something beyond just the physical realm that uh, informs you to be less obsessively attached to people and things in this, re- in, in this world. That, that seems to be a universal theme in the contemplative literature in Buddhism and Hinduism and in the psychedelic literature is that through these spiritual or mystical experiences, you, you access something that, that, is, that, that is so beyond what, what you experience in your day-to-day life that it uh, diminishes some of the, the obsessiveness that you hold to achieving uh, various things. And the, again, as I said earlier, the problem is, is that you, you know, we, we all set out to achieve various things. We set goals. We try very hard. But we, many of the times we don't get there. And so people like myself struggle with with actually embracing whatever the outcome is. Um, And and obviously there's room for improvement and of doing things differently. But even if you put in your maximum effort, there are certain things that are just not going to go your way. Tragedies are going to hit your life. People are going to die around you. Your loved ones will eventually die. So many negative experiences are out there. And so these mystical experiences that people have tend to uh diminish the magnitude of which uh suffering is uh suffering affects your life in in various ways through various tragedies so that that seems to be a, a common denominator uh in these experiences which i think is is very powerful
1: yeah so i mean you know talking to you uh it's interesting because, uh, you know, he keeps using the word experience. So obviously, you know, we've spent, I don't know, yeah, we spent a fair amount of time talking here and, you know, there's going to be more talk, uh, about, um, about, you know, MDMA and, and psilocybin, whatever the, these, you know, psychedelics, there's going to be more talk about it. People are going to read about it. They're going to, they're going to talk about it. Um, you have convinced me that, uh, or, you know, I have thought about it deeply, but, um, I don't know if I'm going to try them ever, but, um, obviously they're not dangerous, they're not cocaine, they're not lusty. So um, I think that this is gonna be something that's on our cultural radar. Now, here in the United States, <clears throat> excuse me, we're legalizing marijuana. Um, it's all over the place, you can smell it. So, you know, this isn't the 20th century, it's not the nineteen nineties, it's not the nineteen eighties. Uh, I don't know um where we're going with this, but I think we do need to engage with it. And I, I really appreciate you coming on and you know, I mean, legitimately educating me because I you know, these are one of the things that people talk to me about, and I just kind of tune them out because it's not my deal. But um, uh, you know, you, I think you're a serious person, and you're trying to make a serious case here that we do need to take this seriously. And there are a lot of people, my generation in particular, um, you know, we were raised a certain way, uh, to think about psychedelics and uh, drugs, uh, mind altering drugs in general, and uh, maybe we need to update our views. So, um, Rava, thank you uh for your um, you know time. And this is a great conversation. Uh, could you remind the listeners about your Substack again?
0: Yeah. So yeah, I should briefly talk about that here. Uh, the Substack is this new project for me in which it, it's going to be a mix of doing a lot of deep investigative reporting um, into the current uh, clinical studies that are being done with a whole roast, a whole host of substances ranging from DMT and psilocybin and MDMA, looking at all sorts of. Um, Psychological disorders. So I'm going to be investing a lot of time and energy into that, and so I'm. That's why I've created the Substack uh, to help uh, start uh, financially supporting me in this new uh, endeavor, which is very important. And that's why uh, paid subscribers are important, so I can uh, invest more and more time into doing uh, a lot of this uh, research and uh, talking to people within the industry because. It is very difficult to access, and it is not something that you can just do sort of online through a computer. These things require access to these, these therapies, which are very expensive. Um, and so that's kind of where I'm also intending to bring my readers on this kind of long-term journey uh, with with myself is I'm gonna put myself in these positions and have these experiences. I've already done MDMA once, and I've, I'm putting out an essay um, I think by the time people listen to this podcast, they can find my essay on uh, microdosing psilocybin, having a, just a, a microdose uh, of psilocybin and my experiences with that of heightened mindfulness and of awareness and of, of gratitude and, and all of that. And so in my future explorations are gonna be in a second session of MDMA that I'm gonna be doing soon. And then eventually a full session of psilocybin and eventually DMT for the next couple of years. Um, Just various firsthand experiences that I want to come back and share with the readers what I experienced and inform them in their decisions and potentially change some people's minds, uh, bring other people who may be skeptical along with the journey. So this is going to be a process of self-discovery that I think is going to be immensely useful for many readers who, like, like myself, like yourself, who are not religious, who are not sort of mystical in their traditional ways, But at least in my case, spiritually curious, inquisitive about these altered states of consciousness and of, and of also like, like we've talked about of, uh, healing these deep wounds, healing depression, anxiety, which there are really no effective treatments for at this point. And these psychedelic therapies done in the proper settings seem to offer, um, a lot of, uh, therapeutic uh, potential. So I, I encourage people to uh, subscribe to the, the sub stack and become a paid subscriber if you can to help fund some of the, this deep investigative uh, work. And, and, and also, um, I should say that uh, none of this is going to replace my usual uh, social commentary, the New York Post on criminal justice and racial issues. Um, all of that is going to be uh, going on. Um, and that's going to be the, my focus. But this is going to be a new project that I want to explore for again for the mental health purposes and also just for the um mystical and, and spiritual side of things which uh, i feel like in our culture is not emphasized enough and so i, I want to explore that in in great depth
1: all right um okay well it was great talking to you rob and uh uh i wish you the best of luck on this new endeavor and all the different things you do um and uh yeah i think um a lot to chew on and think about from this conversation so thank you again
0: all right thanks This podcast for kids...